Good morning. I want to welcome you all to the Crossings Church. Um, we are excited that you guys are here. Um, looks real nice outside. I'm excited for this weather. I, I say that a lot, I think, when I get up here and preach. I, I get excited for this weather because it's such a great time of the year. Um, but it's so nice outside. I saw my, my friend Brendan. I think he's in the back room. He was at a fundraiser for us yesterday, but he has a jacket. I'm like, man, why are you wearing a jacket? And then I realized that he's so pale white that his arms were like red like a crab. <laughs> he was like, you did it again to me, Jake. You asked me to do a fundraiser, and here I am the next day looking as red as these church pins. <laughs> and uh, I was like, it ain't my fault you didn't wear sunscreen yesterday. Um, but no, it's, it's nice outside. Uh, like I said, I want to look you guys at Crossing Church. Uh, we are so excited that you guys are here. Um, I'm excited that you guys are here. Uh, if you guys would like to follow along with us today, there's some notes in your guys' bulletins that you guys can pull out as well. And we actually have an event coming up for our junior high kids this Saturday. If you have any junior high kids or if you know of any junior high kids, um, it is a summer fun water balloon bonanza. And I think it's going to be at Wes's house, um, but you can contact Gina for more information. So if you have any kids going in to, uh, if you have any kids going into middle school, into sixth grade, this is like a good opportunity for them to kind of get to know uh, you know, the middle school ministry and, you know, the eighth graders can come as well. They're going into high school just to kind of send them off as well. But um, we're excited for the for small events like that. It's kind of, we're kind of getting to that end of the school year, right? And so for you kiddos, who is ready to be done with school, yes. right? Everybody's ready to be out for the summer, right? And so we're, we're about to jump into our season here at the Crossing Church of Camps. And here at the Crossing Church, we, we host a lot of kids camps, um, from preschoolers all the way through high school seniors. And then we even have a campus retreat after that for our college students. And so our summers get very, very busy with our kids because we really value our kids. And uh, I'm excited for that season as well. So keep an eye out for the bulletins because we'll start having things coming in soon for flyers, for camps, and things like that as well. So we are in the middle of a sermon series. I guess middle is our 16th one, right? So we're going, we're going for a while. Um, but we're going out of the book of Acts, and we've been, we've been walking through and working through the book of Acts since the beginning of the year, because this theme, this to-be-continued theme is in Acts, and as we, as we read through Acts, we start to see that um, it's not just a story, it's not just a good history lesson, but that there is a challenge for us to continue something that was started in, in, the, in the first century church. And I think sometimes we don't, we don't relate to Scripture like we should, and we just read it and apply it, but we don't read it and let it work through us in a way that we, we become it. Um, and that's what we really want to focus on this year is becoming Scripture and extending the story and making it something that's not just a story that we read. It's not just history that we read, but we become a part of it. And we're continuing that story. And we believe that the first century wanted that to be the legacy that when they were writing things down for us to read, that they were hopefully writing things down for us to carry on a legacy. Think about your families. Think about whenever you guys are going to get older and you guys are going to die and you guys are going to have kids that you're going to leave behind. Do you want those kids to just read about you and to be like, that was a cool parent I had once or that was a cool grandparent that I had or I, I hear these cool stories? Or is there a legacy that you want to have an impact on your kids to say, I am the way that I am because of the things that my mom and my dad left me. I'm continuing a legacy that my parents have put within me. And because of that, I... I am the way that I am, and it's not just a story that I read about. It's not just a relationship. But, and, and I think that's exactly what the first century was like. 
that they are our spiritual parents in ways that they had a maturity and they, 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 they were on this earth way before us to leave us a legacy to say, hey, these are the things that we want you guys as young spiritual children to get from us and to continue the legacy that we had put in, in forth in front of you. And so that's kind of what we've been working off of. And for us to look at today, what we're going to talk about is this idea of making an impact. Because we can read scripture um, and we can see time and time again how much impact the first century disciples had. Time and time again, they made awesome strides in the book of Acts. And then you, and then you see that you know, the apostle Paul is converted. And then you see all the letters and you see Timothy. And you see, you see everything in the New Testament kind of lay out this idea that, man, they, these Christians had a huge impact. And what's cool is that they, they've chose to set a legacy through the scriptures for us to read because they believe, because God has told them that we, just like them, can have the same kind of impact. But I don't know if, if, you're, if you're anything like me. Have you, you, you know, today's lesson is called, So You're Saying There's a Chance. You know? And if, if you're my age, you know where that comes from. Uh, there's a movie called Dumb and Dumber, and there is a scene where Jim Carrey, uh, he's, he's kind of got this love interest, but it's not mutual <laughs> with this other girl. And he's like, just lay it on me. Let me know. What, what are the odds of a, of a girl like you getting together with a guy like me? And she like looks at him. She's like, not good. <laughs> and he's like, just throw it out there. Come on, just tell me. Are you saying like, like one in a hundred? And she's like, more like one in a million. And he like gets sad for a minute and he thinks about it. And then he goes, so you're saying there's a chance, right? And he gets super excited about it. And I think sometimes we, we think about that with our impact. Because I don't know about you, but the way that I was raised... I should not be on the stage. There's no reason that I'm talking. The, the, and, and I'm not saying this out of arrogance, but the impact that I have today, the credibility that I have today, is not because of anything that I was given as a kid. You know, I grew up, I grew up very, very poor. I've talked about this before. I've grow, I grew up in a family that was very broken. My dad was not around when I was a kid. My dad actually died a couple years ago of a heroin overdose in a state that I don't even remember in a motel room by himself. And the things that I know about my family, people would not look at my life and say, you're a man that's going to have great impact. It just doesn't, it doesn't line up. And still today, when I would say those things, I know that there are people in this congregation that look at me and say, you're a man that's making an impact. And I'm not saying that out of arrogance. I'm not saying that to boast myself up. But what I'm saying is, is that there, there, is a, there is a part of my life where I looked at my life and I thought that there was no chance to have impact. I thought that there was not going to be an opportunity for me to, to change the perspective of people in the world. I, I didn't think I was going to have the impact that I have today. And it's not out of anything of my own doing, but God has given me an opportunity to say, hey, there is a chance that you can have an impact on the world. There's a chance for you to have these things. And I think a lot of us need to realize that God wants us all to have an impact on this earth. No matter where you come from, no matter your background, no matter the way that you were raised, no matter any of these things, God is saying it doesn't, these things don't matter. What matters is, is if you're my child, I want you to have an impact, period. And if that's the truth, 
we need to lay down all these preconceived notions of the way that we were raised and, the, and these insecurities of the things that hold us back from changing the world and realize that if, we, if we've been given a legacy of people in the first century that say, hey, we have crap backgrounds too. We, we have these crazy stories as well, but we still changed a generation and we've left this book for you to read so you can understand that this legacy is now meant for you as well. Then we can read these scriptures and be encouraged to say, God has given us an opportunity to have an impact. There's a chance. So you're saying there's a chance. And that's what we're going to talk about today is we're actually going to look at two men in Scripture in the book of Acts that had a tremendous impact and what we can learn from who God wants us to impact, but also what it's going to take for us to find that opportunity to give that impact to somebody else. So starting off, God longs for me to have an eternal impact on, number one, groups of people who know me. God longs for you to have an impact on people who know you, groups of people who know you. <clears throat> and this is where we're going to start with, we're going we're to look at two guys today, Stephen and Philip, in Acts 6, 1 through 5. It says, a lot of people who are now becoming followers of the Lord, but some of the ones who spoke Greek started complaining about the ones who spoke Aramaic. They complained that the Greek-speaking widows were not giving their share when the food supplies were handed out each day. The 12 apostles called the whole group of followers together and said, my friends, choose seven men... Um, who were respected and wise and filled with God's spirit. We will put them in charge of these things. We can spend our time praying and serving God by preaching. They began choosing Stephen, and then they chose Philip. So you get these two guys, Stephen and Philip, that come from the, from, from the crowd. And this, this was a group of people that Stephen and Philip already knew because they were engulfed in that crowd. And I think we need to understand first and foremost, if we're going to look at these two guys today, is that God was able to give them an opportunity with the people that they already knew. That there was a group of people that they were already surrounded with that God said, hey, you are going to be able to have an impact on these people because of who you are, and you're going to raise up very quickly because of the, of the things that you are, have been able to show. And it's an also an important note, I want you guys to put like a little, you know, a little thumbnail on this in your mind, is that God didn't raise them up to have this kind of impact like a stage or a preacher or anything like that right off the bat. They were chosen to give an impact to serve. And I think sometimes we want to have this impact that we're like, I want to be a man or a woman of impact. Like, I want to influence people. I need a stage. I need a podium. I need, I need a title. I need a position. And we're going to watch Stephen and Philip kind of progress through these areas but the reality is, is they didn't start with a stage. They didn't start with a podium. They started serving tables. But they were respected in that group of people that they had. And for a lot of you guys, you already have influence. You already have people in your life that you know look up to you. You know, um, that's something I've, I've always talked about with sports stars, right? You watch sport athletes, and, you, and if you watch Sports Center, if you read the news, um, you tend to find out that sometimes sports uh, role models aren't the best role models. You know, somebody like Ja Morant, right? That's a hot topic right now. Ja Morant is an NBA player that a lot of kids look up to because he does a lot of work for the community. But Ja Morant's been shown multiple times in the last couple months with guns in his hand, and, and he's promoting gang violence after he makes shots, and he's doing random things, and he's losing a lot of influence very quickly. And it's crazy because kids look up to things like that. I've also watched NBA players do that same stupid stuff, and they say, I didn't ask to be a role model. I don't want to be a role model. But the reality is, is it doesn't matter if you want it or not, people are going to be influenced by you, period. It doesn't matter what your talent is. It doesn't matter what you are, who you are. 
And I think that goes for everybody. I don't think it doesn't, I don't, it's not just for NBA stars. You're going to have an influence on people whether you want it or not. If you interact with other people on this earth, you are going to have an influence on people. And Philip and Stephen had an influence on these people in a way that he was very easily able to, to be raised up because of his respect for them. And so first off, just think about your social circles that you guys already have. There is an, there's already an opportunity that God wants you to have an impact on those people that you already know. But also, God longs for us to have an impact on groups of people that don't know us. God longs for us to have an, an, an internal impact on people who don't know me. Because, you know, this time, this is where Stephen's story gets kind of cut short. Because if you, if, you know, if you know about Philip and Stephen, they were raised up. And, 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 and very soon after Acts 6 happens, in the next chapter, we see Stephen dies. We see Stephen is stoned um, because he chose to go out and, and start speaking and start saying things. Um, and after that happens, there's this giant persecution in the Christian church. And they start scattering and going all over the place and start spreading the news like wildfire. Because this persecution, Stephen was the first Christian martyr that we see in, 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 uh, in, in, in the New Testament. And because of that, it kind of fuels a fire and, and it sends people all over the place to start talking about these things. right? And we pick up in Acts 8 and we see it says, The believers who were scattered went from place to place where they spread the word. Philip went to the city of Samaria and told people about the Messiah. The crowds paid close attention to what Philip said. They listened to him and saw the miracles he performed. You see, God doesn't just want us to stay in our bubble of, of people that we know. But there's going to be times where God is, is longing for us to go find new people. Our campus ministry here at the Crossing Church is very active in that idea. That we really do push that boundary with our boldness with, with our disciples and say, Hey, listen, if you're a college student and you claim to be a Christian, you are going to, put in, you are going to be put in uncomfortable situations. <laughs> we, we are going to ask you... If you are, you know, if you are not athletically inclined at all, we are going to ask you to find social circles of athletes on campus and, and spend time with them and talk to them and get to know them. If, if, if you're not academically inclined at all, if you're not, if you're not, we're going to push you to go to the library. You know, like we're going we're gonna to push you to find these social circles. And if there's this group, if you're not very cultured, you know, we're going we're gonna to find this group on campus that's sitting at the lunch tables that's, that's very like cultured in the times and, and the things that they're into may not be the things that you're into, but God wants us to find new groups, period. And he wants us to give us an opportunity to have an influence on those groups, just like Philip did. And what, what, what's very unfortunate is we see the difference between Philip and Stephen is I don't believe Philip and Stephen were saying different things in their boldness, in their approaches. The only difference is, is that Philip and Acts 8 had crowds that paid close attention to him. And Stephen had a crowd that did not want to hear and did not want to pay attention to him. In fact, they actually closed their ears and started screaming as they charged and killed Stephen. They did not want to pay attention to what Stephen was saying. And that's the challenge that we're going to have today is when God puts you into new groups and God wants you to have an impact on people, he's not saying that you're going to get to dictate how they respond to you. But that doesn't dismiss the fact that he still wants you to have an impact on them nonetheless. And so 
as we watch through Philip's life, we get this idea that he didn't stay in a spiritual huddle. He didn't stay, he didn't stay with the people who knew him. He went out and found new groups. But then we find an interesting point because in point three, we find that God also wants to have an impact on individuals that don't know me. So Philip's already started this, this idea, and, and it says that the crowds were paying close attention, and they were listening, and they saw the miracles, and it seems like something good's happening. Philip's been given a stage. He's been given an audience. And what does God do? Well, in Acts 8 it says, Then an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Get up, take the desert road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. So Philip went, an Ethiopian man had came to Jerusalem to worship on his way home. And so, God gave Philip, essentially, a city of Samaria, an audience to listen to. And then he says, all right, now I need you to leave this, this crowd. Go down on this road, and you're going to meet a dude. <laughs> Talk with that guy. You know, how confusing is that? If, if we're really wanting to spread the Christian faith, and we're really wanting, wouldn't we have the best opportunity when we're in a crowd when we have the best opportunity, when we have the largest audience, doesn't that make the most sense? And so why does he send Philip away from that crowd to find one dude? Well, if you've ever been to any big event here at the Crossings that we do, we do things on, on, our, on our site here, like our spooktacular, our fall events that we do here, or we do our Rock the Block parties. On campus, we do things called like Fall Fest. Like we do big events and I usually am at the center of a lot of those events with coordinating them and setting them up and, and walking around making sure things are, are flowing well. And I've done so many of those events that I've come to find out, especially on the college campus, is that there's usually like the event going on, right? And our Fall Fest event usually draws over a thousand people. And we have this giant crowd. But one of the things that I love most about our giant events that we do, and I've done them for so long, is as I'm in the middle of this crowd, we do it in this, this, in this giant grassy area right next to the freshman dorms, right? And the freshman dorms, there's like this road that they had to walk up to get to the cafeteria and they had to eat dinner there. And so like we do it on purpose there. So we, they have to come by us and eventually they'll maybe flock to us and, and we'll get more people. But I've watched people walk that road. I watch it every year. And they walk this road and they look at the crowd. And they keep going. And they keep looking at the crowd. And you can tell that there's something that, that they like, they want to be involved, that, that there might be something, but like on their own, they're never gonna get it. They're never gonna make that push. And one of my favorite things to do whenever we have a big event is when I make contact with one of those people and I run over there and I'm like, hey, why don't you come on over? Why, why don't you come check it out? And their trajectory completely changes from going to the dinner to coming to the Fall Fest. I love watching that happen. And I think we need to understand, guys, is that sometimes whenever we are in giant crowds of people, we miss, we miss the small opportunities of people that just need a little push. They just need a little help. The crowd isn't really going to get them there, but it's going to be the personal relationship. You see, this eunuch, he saw something. He had the book of Isaiah. He, was, he, he had, and he was trying to figure this out. Like, there was, there was something, and, but he just couldn't really get it completely. And so God offers Philip up.
to give him an opportunity to read scripture, to share the good news, which is essentially the path of being a disciple. And then this eunuch ends up getting baptized and he leaves and he goes back home. And what's crazy is that if you don't know anything about history, Ethiopia is kind of far away from where this Christian spread is happening. It's pretty far away. I don't know the exact mileage, but I know it's, it's a far distance. But in history at this time, there was, a, there was an outburst of Christianity that happened in Ethiopia, but there's not really documentation to say, to say who or, or what started it. And a lot of scholars believe, and it would make sense, that this Ethiopian eunuch could have been the person that went to change a nation. And how crazy would it be to think of a second or third generation disciple was able to have a complete life change because one guy that was involved in the crowd chose to make one interaction with one person on the side and that person was able to go and change a generation. You see, sometimes we get so caught up in, in, in the group scene that we don't realize the impact that we could have on, on, on the individual side. That for us, and this is one of our models here at the Crossing Church, is for, we, we truly believe here at the Crossing Church for us to grow in numbers, for us to get larger, we have to become smaller. And so we have a huge emphasis here on small groups. We have a huge emphasis here at our church on discipleship groups, on that one-on-one time or that two-on-two or three-on-three time because we know that if we really want people to grow, that we have to have individual time with them. I know time and time again I've watched people leave giant churches because they say it's not very relational. There's not a big focus on people. It's more about the crowd. And I know that God understood that whenever he sent Philip to find this eunuch because he says, listen, this guy can create an opportunity to draw a new crowd. Just like Philip went to the city of Samaria, why could he not create a disciple in Ethiopia to go do the same thing in Ethiopia? It's, it's incredible what can happen and the dreams that we can have for people. And so God wants us and he longs for us to have that on individuals that don't know us but I think the one that hits us most at home is lastly, God wants us to have an impact on the individuals that do know me well. You say, you see, it can be easy to have a heart for people you don't know and have a heart for the loss, but if we're being honest with ourselves, I think the people that we long for to have a relationship with God the most are the people that we know the best, right? Our families, our friends, the people we grew up with, our children, we long to have an impact on our closest, deepest friends because of the love that we already have for them, that we've already built for them. And Philip was able to do that as well. You see, after Philip and this whole situation kind of grew, um, he goes, I'm going to butcher this name too, but Caesarea. He goes to Caesarea <clears throat> And he kind of plants there for, you know, they say a couple of decades or so. And he, start, he, he kind of builds a life there. And what's crazy is that man popped out some kids. I, I feel the pain, man. He had, he had four daughters. <laughs> I have three. Um, but it says in Acts 20, 21, this, this is Paul talking. You know, Paul has kind of got a group going down and, and they travel through and they stop by here on the way. And it says, we went to Caesarea and stayed with Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. Philip had four virgin daughters who prophesied. I mean, I have three. I don't know if I could do with the fourth one. <laughs> like, it's already a lot. But 
A couple cool things you note from this verse is, one, they called Philip an evangelist. I don't know of anywhere else in Scripture where somebody's labeled the evangelist, you know? Um, we don't sit around and call each other, like, the whatevers, right? I don't sit around, I'm trying to find people, like, who's somebody that I know? Uh, Riley, the teacher, right? Or Marcus, the Lakers fan, right? I want to say that now because they're down 3-0, right? Um, but um, we don't label people by what they are, right? But they, they labeled Philip this. They said, we're going to Philip the evangelist house. But if you know scripture, God doesn't just call certain people to evangelize. We're all called to seek and save the lost. So this must have been something that he was so known for in his character that he was so, had a, such a heart for people that it was like, this dude's the evangelist. Like Philip the evangelist, we're going to his house. And then they also noted that he was one of the seven. Talking about decades before, whenever he was that guy that was called out of the crowd with, with Stephen, to, to serve these tables. He's already started to build this legacy for himself that he's got this respect and he's got like, we know who Philip is. Like, this is the dude. Like, we, we know what he's done. But then it goes on and says he had four virgin daughters who prophesied. And I never would have thought to break this verse down and look at this and be like, okay, what is this? How does this have an impact? But here's the things that we need to know. One is he labels them as virgins, right? We don't have a specific age on this. But my daughters are like two, five, and seven. I wouldn't call my daughters virgins. You know, they are virgins, but I wouldn't tell people like, these are my four or my three virgin children. <laughs> you know, like, like you don't talk about children as virgins because it's just assumed. So there's got to be an assumption that they are at the age or above that age where they should be in, in ideas and talks about marriage. So these kids are grown. You know, they're not children. That's an important note to talk about because what we're, what we're kind of getting to understand here also is, is Caesarea, this city is part of Judea, but it's not necessarily considered a Christian province within Judea. I hope I'm not butchering this in history because it was so populated in the Gentile community, in the Gentile area, that it, it essentially was not, it wasn't very Christian friendly is what I'm trying to get at. And so what Philip was able to do, essentially, was if, if you like look at, I don't know, here in America, I know like a lot of people talk about like Tennessee is like the panhandle or like the belt of Christian, you know, Christianity. And like there's a lot of like Christian roots that come out of like Tennessee, whereas like Vegas is like the city of sin, right? You know, and like you see different perspectives and different families and how different people are raised in different areas of the area, right? So I believe that Caesarea was kind of more like Vegas. And Philip was living and raised his children here. And I don't think it would be very frequent that you would visit Vegas and find a family that says, I have four virgin daughters. You know, like, I don't think that you would see that very frequently. Which means that Philip had an impact on his children. That despite the culture around the town that they lived in, they still stayed pure. They still remained pure. And only, I could think, an impact a father could have on his children to keep them in that state. Then it also says that they prophesied. And I don't know many scriptures that talk about God using prophecy in people that aren't choosing to follow or trust God. That God would give this talent and God would give this ability to people that are choosing to, to advance his will. And, and so, so you get two things here is that, is that Philip was able to give some morals to his kids 
spiritual morals that God had blessed them and also their lives were showing something different. And it's, 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 it's a cool thing to see that even in the culture that Philip raised his kids in, they were still able to be turned out okay. You say, I'll talk to you guys' parents for a minute, but I'm going I'm to be honest. I think sometimes you guys' as parents, you make excuses as to why your kids are the way that they are because of the culture, because of the people around us, because they're friends, they're social circles, and we make excuses as parents as why our kids didn't turn out the way that we wanted them to. And honestly, you know, we can't like control our kids, but the reality is that we can influence them a lot more than we actually do. And I know a lot of times as a teacher, I used to be a PE teacher, and so many times I used to hear parents come into schools being like, you're not teaching my kid right. He's failing these classes because you're not teaching him right. And one of the biggest things I was taught in school is that it's the parents' responsibility to teach their kids first. We are just aides. And I believe that the church is the same thing. I believe that the church is meant to be an aid for what should already be happening in the house. Period. And parents too frequently throw their kids in youth groups, throw their kids in youth ministries, assuming that they're going to do all the work, and the parents sit at home in hypocrisy, and the kids never really get that full idea of what it looks like to live as a disciple. So they, they visit youth group once or twice a week, and then they go to school for 40 hours a week in an uncultured Gentile area, and who's going to win that battle? And so sometimes, parents, I want to challenge you guys that if you see things in your kids, if you see things that you are not proud of, if you see things that aren't godly, I would first want you to ask the question to yourself, are you being the model and are you giving your kids an influence because you know them the most? Or is there an excuse of the culture and, and, and the peers that happens to say this isn't happening? If Philip could do it in Caesarea, why can't we? You know, the culture is just going to get worse, guys. If you haven't seen it, if you know anything about kids in schools, like I'm, I'm scared for my kids to be in public schools right now. Like I don't know about you guys with, with kids or if you guys are kids in school, but like the culture is changing and it's getting worse. But like Philip could do it with four kids. So why can't I with three? <laughs> you know, and so we have this idea that God's saying we can influence people that we know well. We can influence our families. We can influence all of these groups. So what's it going to take? If, there's, if, you're, if you're saying there's a chance that I can have this kind of impact and this kind of influence on all these different types of people, just like Philip and Stephen did, what's the, what's the game plan? What do I need to do? Right? And that's what we're going to talk about today is forecasting your impact. How are you going to be able to dictate what kind of impact you're going to have? Well, you do that by questioning your character. You see, in Acts 6, we'll, we'll go back to that verse, Acts 6, verses 3 and f- through 5. It says, My friends, choose seven men who are respected and wise and filled with God's Spirit. We will put them in charge of these things. We can spend our time praying and serving God by preaching. The suggestion pleased everyone, began choosing Stephen. He had great faith and was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they chose Philip. This is the greatest place to start with this idea that your impact has nothing to do with your talents. Your impact has nothing to do with your skills. God never appointed people to have impact or influence based on skills or abilities, but God chose to raise people up based on character. 
And so it doesn't matter how you were raised. It doesn't matter your accolades. It doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter how talented or, or how athletic. It doesn't matter how, how much of a people, like none of those things matter. Literally today we can look at this idea of our impacts are all on the same level. We're all on the same playing field. The playing field has been leveled in God's ministry. He says, I don't care who you are. I don't care how good you are at whatever you do. What I care about is what you really want in your heart. What I really care about is who you really are at your core. What is your character? What kind of person do you truly want to be? And if you can answer that question in a way that aligns with what God wants, he will use you. If you say, at my core, I really want to have a deep impact on my family. I want to be able to influence my coworkers because I see that their lives are in shambles and they talk about their marriages and they're terrible. I want to be able to give them something different. My friends at school, man, they talk about all this other stuff and they get involved in these things and I see their lives are falling apart. I want to have an impact that changes their lives. If at your core that's what you want, then God will use you through your character. Now, we all, we all struggle, right? And we're like, I really want that, but man, I got my own crap I struggle with. He doesn't care. He knows you're going to struggle. And so this is kind of cool because we, get, we all get to get put on the, same, on the same playing field today. So let's look at this so we know we're all on the same playing field. What are those traits? What are those things he wants us to look for? Well, we're just going to break Acts 6 down. It says that they chose these men based on three principles, and those are the things we're going to look at today. So first, it says choose seven men who are respected. So do you live respectably? Do I live respectably? Do I live respectably? Because that's how these seven dudes were chose. We live in a culture that demands respect by title. Respect isn't earned in America. It's demanded by title. I'm your father. Respect me, right? I'm your boss. Respect me. I'm the captain of this team. Respect me. I'm a senior. You're a freshman. Respect me, right? And we'll throw out every single title before we ask for the respect. But it's literally the opposite in Scripture. It's the exact opposite in Scripture. He says, you will never get the titles of influence or impact until you have the character that is respectable. These men were appointed because they were respected. They weren't appointed to be respected. And we got, we got to stop getting that backwards. Well, how do you, what's the key to that then? How do, how do you be respected? How do you be respectable? The key to being respected is consistent godly conduct. It's consistent. It's consistent conduct in your relationship with God. In 1 Timothy 4.12, we see Paul later on in Scripture. There's a young preacher named Timothy that raises up into this church, and he's a young dude, right? And Paul writes to him, and he says, Don't let anyone belittle you because you're young. Instead, show the faithful, young and old, an example of how to live, set the standard for how to talk, act, love, and be faithful and pure. You see, Timothy was in a position that the world and the church even was looking at him because he was young and they started, they started to distort the way that respect was looked at. They're saying, dude, this is a young guy. 
Why are we going to respect this dude? You know? And so Paul comes in and is like, hey, don't let anybody belittle you because you're young. Don't, don't do that. Remember why you're there in the first place. Remember why you are a young preacher. Remember why you've been given this responsibility. Set the standard for how to talk. Set an example of how to act, how to love, how to be faithful. How to be. Those are all character traits, guys. There's no skill involved in any of this stuff. And people say, well, what about talking? You know, talking is a skill. Public speaking is a skill. That's not the kind of talk I believe he's talking about here. Have you seen somebody talk trash to somebody else? You're like, they don't know how to talk to people. Out of their heart, that just sounds like a, like a dirtbag. You know, that just, sounds like a, that just sounds like a crap person. I don't think he's saying teach them how to get on a podium and speak publicly clearly. You know how many times I've had to pull a college student with me and be like, hey, we're going to go find somebody that's a stranger and we're going to sit down and we're going to talk to them. <laughs> like, we're, I'm going to show you how to talk to somebody so they don't look at you and be like, you're a jerk. <laughs> or like, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're just quiet. You don't know how to ask questions. And I'm like, all right, let's go through the Midwest questions. We're going to sit down with somebody. And what do you ask somebody in the Midwest? The first question is, where'd you go to high school? Right? Where'd you go to high school? What city did you grow up in? And then we judge them instantly, right? Oh, you're a farm kid. Or like, oh, you're, you're uncultured. Or, oh, you were my rival in high school. I can't actually talk to you anymore, right? And we start judging people right off the bat. But no, we start probing. We start asking questions. Oh, what are you interested in? Where did you grow up? Where's your family from? And we see if there's a connection. Um, it was, uh, no, I'm, I'm going to say that story for later. No, I'm going to say it anyway. No, no, Reggie's not here. Yeah, I'll tell you it anyway. <laughs> so we went to, uh, this is just a side point. I thought it was funny. So we went to this Renew conference a couple weeks ago, right? And there was a guy there that has been working I want to say it was maybe India. I can't remember. Um, but he was in a completely different country. He's doing missionary work in this country in India. Um, I can't remember. Wes might know. But the, I think it might have been India that this guy was working in. right? And so I show up to this Renew conference. And, and Kerry, he's a, he's a campus minister at other church. right? And he starts talking to this guy. I've never met this guy in my life. And he's been in India for like 10 or 15 years. And we start talking. And I'm like, all right, where are you from? And he's like, oh, I'm originally from Illinois. And I'm like, oh, cool, I'm from Illinois. Where, what city you grew up in? And he's like, I'm from Bethalto. I'm like, I'm from Bethalto. And then we start talking, and we both played baseball. And we had the same high school coach. And we went through all this, we went through this crazy circle of things, right? And this dude's been in India for like a decade, and I didn't even know who he was. And then we start, we find another link that his mom dated Reggie Conley back in the day. <laughs> and because he said, well, I actually have my mom's from Brighton. And Carrie's like, well, we actually have the Conley's like, my mom dated a Conley. And so sure enough, we called Reggie Conley. Hey, did you date blah, blah, blah? And this is like 30, 40 years ago for Reggie Conley. He's like, yeah, how did you know that? Out in <laughs> Tennessee. Like, we're here with this. We're here with our son right now. You used to babysit. He's like, Oh, yeah, I put them on. And they found out, I was like, I've been in India for a day. I'm like, how am I supposed to know that's what's going to happen when I learn to talk to somebody, <laughs> you know? And uh, that was kind of off the, that does nothing to do with this lesson, but I thought it was just really cool that how to talk to people because the whole high school question. But it's incredible to know when you learn a character trait that you just genuinely want to know about people, how much in common you actually may have. And that's, I think, 
what Paul's trying to get Timothy to understand is just talk to people because once you guys realize that you're on the same team, once you realize you're on the same page with people in this church, they're going to respect you. Once they see your character and who you truly are, they're going to respect you. And so, guys, this has nothing to do with your talents. It has nothing to do with your abilities. It has all to do with your character, even from a young preacher. Okay? So do you live respectfully? Second, that verse says in Acts, men who are respected, and it says in men who are wise. So am I wise? Are you wise? Three indicators today we're going to talk about with wisdom. Okay? My friends, choose seven men who are wise. The first one is I ask for wisdom. Do you ask God for wisdom? Rate yourself. There's a little rating scale here, right? Rate yourself between one through ten. One being that you never talk to God about wisdom. You, you, you never know. You just kind of figure it out yourself. Ten being like literally everything that you do in life is, is, is put before God and, and asking for wisdom in this, in this area. Look what it says here in James 1.5. It says, if you don't have all the wisdom needed for this journey, then all you have to do is ask God for it. And God will grant all that you need. He gives lavishly and never scolds you for asking. I don't know about you, but I don't know all I need to know about living. <laughs> I'm, I'm a young father. You know, who knows what I'm going to be like when I have grandkids. You know, like there's so many things. I don't know what retirement's going to look like. I don't even know if I'm going to retire. Like I don't know anything about my future. I don't have wisdom yet for the future years. So me, myself, I don't have all the wisdom I, I need for this journey yet. And, I, and I, would, I would bet to say that everyone in this room would say the same answer. You don't have all the answers yet. You don't know how it's going to go. We don't have the wisdom to just do everything successfully or, or faithfully. And we get an instruction here that says, if you don't have it, ask for it. God will grant you all that he needs. He will never scold you for asking. Do we ask God for the wisdom? And then the second one kind of snowballs into it because the second one is I associate with wise people. Because more times than not, when God gives you wisdom, it will not be divine. It will be through someone else. You're never going to just walk through life and Pray that God gives you wisdom, and then, like, you got zapped, and you're like, I'm so much smarter now. <laughs> you know, like, that's not how it works. And somebody's like, man, how did you get so wise? You know, I just prayed, I asked God for it, and then I just woke up one day, and now I'm smart. Like, it, it's probably not going to work like that. Like, the wisdom comes because God says, all right, I'm going to give you somebody that's going to teach you how to be wise. I associate with wise people. It says in Proverbs 13, 20, if you want to grow in wisdom, spend time with the wise. Walk with the wicked and you'll eventually become just like them. Right? Birds of a feather flock together. We tend, we tend to find people in our same social circles. You want to know if you're wise or not? Look at your closest friends. Are they wise? Well, what are you saying about yourself? <laughs> you know? Like, that's, that's really what it comes down to. And one of the things, I, do, I go to like almost every church camp here at the church. And I, I swear, we've gotten bigger and we have multiple churches that show up and they drop them off on buses and vans and things like that. 
And dude, every year, especially at the junior high camp, right? All these kids start getting all these buses from the first church. And then the second church shows up, right? And you see like the first church and you're like, all right, these kids I ain't gonna have to worry about. These kids are gonna be a problem all week. You know, like they found each other and they're just there. And then the next bus shows up and then they're like, ah, I don't know where I'm gonna go. And then that one troublemaker kid, he finds his way to the same kids, right? They always flock and we find them. And, and, and every single year I see the same thing time and time again. I'm like, why can't you guys just disperse <laughs> and, and get around groups of people that are going to help you? Why do you always got to find each other? Why am I going to find like the toilets have been clogged all night and it's the same kids. And then I go into the lunch area and all the food's been thrown all over the place. It's the same. Like, why is it always the same kids? Right. And it's like that every single year. But I'm telling you right now that those things start when you're young and you just grow up in the same realms and the same worlds. You, you get to high school, you find the same cliques. You get to college. It doesn't matter if it's a new college or going with your friends or not. You'll find the same group. You get into your workplace, you'll find the same co-workers. Like it just, it's just natural for us to get in that same group of people. So the question is, with wisdom, are you going against the grain and finding wisdom in the relationships that you need to find wisdom in? If your marriage is struggling... Do you spend time with people who have successful, wise marriages? Or do you spend all your time complaining to single people about your marriage? It's funny, but that's literally what happens. I, I don't know how many times I've seen college dudes go and talk to single college dudes about dating relationships. They're like, hey, man, I'm thinking about dating this chick. What do you think? Or, hey, I'm in this relationship, and this is what's going on with me and this girl. I'm like, why are you talking to him? He's never had a girlfriend in his life. <laughs> like, how is he going to be able to help you fix this problem when he doesn't know what it's like to be in a relationship? Why would you go to people who have zero experience and ask for wisdom? It's, I mean, as I grew up, my mom was a bartender her whole life. I grew up in a bar, and I'd watch these dudes come in and just complain to other drunks that were terrible in their marriages about their terrible marriage. And I'm like, it just makes no sense. If we want to be wiser, why do we associate with those people that are very unwise in the things that we need help with? If you're undisciplined with your money, why do you spend time asking people who don't know how to manage their money how to manage your money? It doesn't make any sense. Would you go to a bank that says, I'm not going to really know how to manage your money well, but you can give it to me anyway? No, we wouldn't do that. But we sure will take advice from people that would like never work at those banks, right? And we take time and we, and we circle ourselves with these people. And this is a huge problem in our culture. Proverbs 18.15 says, The heart of a discerning acquires knowledge. The ears of the wise seek it out. Guys, you, especially you guys, you, you high school and college kids, like you guys have got to learn to spend time with wise people. I know the culture wants you to just invest all your time with people who play video games or people that are the same interests, people in the same sports, but man, you've got to get your guys' selves around some dads, around some, some husbands, around some wives. Like You need to get yourselves around some people that are going to teach you guys how to be wise. Or you're going to repeat the same cycles of some of us that didn't have that, and then we destroyed marriages, or we destroyed our, our dating relationships, or we destroyed things because we didn't have that either. A lot of you adults can know what that's like because you maybe didn't have that when you were growing up either. 
And then thirdly, I appreciate correction. So I ask God for wisdom. I associate with wise people. And then do I appreciate the correction? Once I'm around wise people and they give me some feedback, do I appreciate it? Am I like, thank you, sir, may I have another? <laughs> like, do I sit here and get these negative compliments time and time again? It says in Proverbs 15, 31, it says, if you listen to constructive criticism, that's not good, right? If you listen to constructive criticism, you know what constructive criticism is? It's literally criticism that somebody else gives you. <laughs> it's not from yourself. Because we, we get this foggy definition of what it is ourselves. It says, if you listen to construction criticism, you will be at home among the wise. If you reject discipline, you only harm yourself. But if you listen to correction, you grow in understanding. Fear the Lord teaches wisdom. Humility precedes honor. You see, it's easy for us to critique ourselves and say, I could have done that better. I probably messed up here. But we also can justify ourselves very easily too. I did that because of this and this and this. You know? And then when people come into our lives, if they're not wise and they give us criticism, we say, man, I ain't trying to listen to you right now. You don't know what you're talking about. You don't know what you're talking about. You're not wise. Or then we have the opposite side where it is somebody that's wise and they give us instruction. We say, man, I ain't trying to hear that right now. <laughs> it's just a completely different perspective. One is like, I'm not going to listen to that because you know what you're talking about. And one is, I ain't trying to hear that right now because I know I was wrong. And so I'm not going to try to listen and change. And so the question is, is, how do I appreciate what's being fed to me? You see, wise people critique wise people. I talked about this in my teacher service today. It only makes sense that wise people would give correction. If your friends are not correcting and critiquing you, they are not wise. Period. Because any wise person, and this is just, this is just my natural thought process, if I'm a wise person, it is, it is smart for me to want to change the unwise people around me to make my life easier. You know, like if, if my life requires that the people around me that are not, are not very wise make my life harder, I want, I want to smarten them up a little bit to make my life easier. Like, doesn't that just make sense? Like, for example, if I have a friend that never asks for a car ride to cross chat and I never say anything to him and then he waits until five minutes before cross chat to say hey I need a ride to cross chat and it changes my whole schedule and now I got to rush to go get him because he never asked for it and then the night ends and then the next week I still don't say anything assuming that he's got a ride and I don't hear anything and then five minutes before cross chat I get the same text hey can I get a ride that makes my life harder. It would be smart for me to say, hey, dude, start asking me a day in advance. Or, hey, dude, start asking me an hour in advance. It makes sense for me to change people and give them the challenge to look and critique their life because that's just what a wise person would do because it's easier on them. Wise people correct each other because it sharpens each other. I think sometimes we get this idea that like wise people are like, like if I'm hanging out with like a wise person, like, hey, cool, 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 like, yeah, you're cool, I'm cool, like we have this relationship, like we're just going to talk. We're not really going to challenge each other because we're wise. We don't need to talk to each other and challenge each other. Oh, here comes a stupid person. All right, hold on. Hey, man, like 
You need to change that because you ain't very smart. That's not wise. I mean, you see what I did there? Yeah, that's cool. Let's go talk about it. Like, that's not how it works. Like, that's not the relationship between things. You see, wise people are wise because they say this stuff to each other and they, ex- they appreciate it and they take it and they critique it and they work through it and they apply it and they look different because of it. And I think sometimes we think that like, ah, man, I'm not very mature in this area. I'm not very wise in this area. So I have to go bring myself to a wise person and expect them to say things like, but like, it says, if you listen to it, you'll be at home. That's an important note. Because in the home of wise people, there's always criticism coming along. You know, Wes and I never see eye to eye on hardly anything because we're so opposites. But we know we're at home because we, we sharpen each other. And I love that about our relationship. Because I could not stand to be a leader in a church that just talks behind another leader's back and never gives them critiques. Because I know if I'm not getting critiques, that's probably what they're doing about me. You know? And I would not want to be in a small group or a church or relationships with people that never critique me because if they're not talking to you, then they're probably talking about you. And so you better make sure that you surround yourself with people that are going to talk to you about the things they see in your life but you have a response in how you respond to that because you need to ask yourself if you're appreciating what they're saying to you. It's a huge issue in the church. People will leave because they don't appreciate correction. They want to be in a church that people don't say anything to them. You've got to appreciate what people are saying to you, whether you like it or not. So am I wise? Do I live respectfully? And the last one, it says, in that Acts 6, it says that they were filled with the Spirit. It says, my friends, choose seven men who are filled with God's Spirit. And there's two indicators here that we're going to talk about with being filled with God's Spirit. The first one says, the first one is that I've been baptized scripturally. You see, baptism is not just a dunk. It's not just going underneath the water. It's not just an obedience trait. It's not... But there are some things that happen with the baptism. It says, and Peter talked to his people. He says, each of you, in Acts 2.30, it says, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the goodness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You know, baptism is not just a dunk. There are some things that you need to understand about your baptism before you do it. And because of that, there will be some blessings that happen in product of it. But I know that there have been a lot of people in, in, in my life and in the, in, in the Christian faith that have pushed baptism as more of a dunking and pushed it without the understanding and without the product being known of that, what, what comes from it. You know, and I, as I study the Bible, I've studied about hundreds of college kids and, and, you know, I get a lot of responses like, well, you know, I was at a camp once and there was this really attractive girl there and she got baptized, so I got baptized. God's spirit's in me. <laughs> like, you know, and my life didn't change when I got home, yeah, but I got baptized. And other people are like, you know, my, my parents actually forced me to get baptized when I was like 10. You know, like they just, they, they, they wrote my name on the monthly baptism list and they just threw me in there and I don't really know what I was doing, but my family told me it was probably a good thing to do. So I, you know, I did it. And, and, Peter's kind of addressing a crowd that's talking about that, being like, hey, listen, guys, like, this isn't just a dunk. 
Like there's got to be some knowledge to know what, what this baptism means. That there is, there is scripture, there is, there is a purposeful scriptural way about baptism. And it's not just some willy-nilly thing that we just do because we read the word baptism and we do it, but that there's got to be some knowledge on what this is. And so this idea of being filled with God's Spirit, if, the, if there's not a lot of conditions around this baptism that you understand what it is, it doesn't really make sense that the baptism would provide those things because you never really understood the baptism in the first place. So my question first off is to look at yourself and look through Scripture and say, do you understand truly what baptism means. Because if you want the products of a legitimate baptism, then you better make sure that the baptism itself and the thought process behind that was legitimate. And so the first indicator is that I have been baptized scripturally. And then second, we talk about the idea that I have been living obediently. We get a little bit here in Galatians, because Galatians talks about this idea of what these fruits of the Spirit are. We're not going to go through this today, but you guys can look in Galatians 5, and it hits on those. But it talks about, in Galatians 5 before that, it talks about this idea of what the Holy Spirit is going to do. But it, it, it talks about what happened before the Spirit starts to work in these areas. It says in Galatians 5, 16, it says, I say to you this, let the Holy Spirit lead you. Then you will not please your old selves. You see, because our old selves should have died at the baptism. It says the things our old selves want to do are against what the Holy Spirit wants. So there's a conflict going on. The Holy Spirit does not agree with what our old sinful selves want. These two are against each other. Those of us who belong to Christ have, which means this, this should have already happened, they have nailed our sinful old selves onto his cross, which is a demonstration that baptism symbolizes our sinful desires are now dead, like when we were underneath the water. If the Holy Spirit is living in us, let us be led by him in all things. You see, that's why the baptism is so important. It's because if you don't understand this idea of a death, this idea that I no longer live to self, this idea that our sinful old selves went away when we were in that water and underneath that water, then we should not expect a product that a Holy Spirit is guiding us and leading us in a way if, we're not really, if we never really made the decision to die to ourselves in the first place. It makes no sense to, to think we're going to receive blessings and receive things from an idea that we never really surrendered in the first place. And so it's very vital for us to understand that this point, if you have not surrendered your life, your complete life, and said, you know, God... I don't, you know, my name's Jake, but I don't, I'm no longer Jake. I don't, I don't do what Jake wants to do. I don't desire the things that, that Jake desires anymore. I have died to myself. I have chosen to give up my life. The things that I was passionate about in life, I'm no longer passionate about. The only thing I'm passionate about now is living for you. Period. All these other things that I had on my agenda, my, my scholastic, my academics, my sports, my, my, my likes, my, the things that I wanted to achieve in life, God, I could care less about those things now because you're my number one priority and my life is now a living offering to you because I died on that cross when I went underneath that water. If that is not the way that you view your life today, it is very hard to read Scripture to think that God is letting His Holy Spirit work within you through Scripture. 
And so it's important for us to understand that if we are not living the lifestyle, we should not expect the product. But I'm telling you right now, man, if you can give God the lifestyle, the product is so awesome. To live a life that's not naturally given to us, to live a life that's not naturally sinful, to live a life that's not naturally hateful and mean and self, self-righteous and, and, and selfish and, and, and selfish ambition, and, and to live in this world that that's what we seek out because that's the culture, but to live in a life that we are naturally more loving. And we are naturally more at joy with our circumstances. And we are naturally more at peace with everything around us. And and that we become more patient. The things that Galatians talks about, that the Spirit is literally battling against in our hearts and giving us. And if you know anything about Scripture, Jesus already wins. So this idea that the Holy Spirit fighting against a sinful nature, who should win that fight? The Holy Spirit is already going to win that fight. And so if you are stuck like in a habit or an addiction or you're stuck in one of those sinful states, I'm telling you right now, if you give God your life, he will fight and win for you. And he will change your life and he will change those things that you're like, I never thought I could be this happy. I never thought I could be this at peace with my life. He can do those things for you guys, man. But to do that is going to require a living sacrifice. It's going to require you to give your life to receive those blessings. And that's where I want to leave you guys today is that question of if you want to have an impact, are you willing to pay the cost? If you guys would like to, I encourage you guys to pull out this communication card today because this is your opportunity to look at your life and say, I want to have an impact and I need to figure out where to start. If you're looking for wisdom and you're like, I just don't know how to gain wisdom, check that you'd like a Bible study and figure out where you can get some wisdom or get, you know, check maybe I'd like to get more involved in small groups and, and, get, and get in a circle around some wise people that are really striving. You know, here at the Crossings Church, it, we really do strive to become wise. I'm not saying we're all wise. I'm not saying we're wise in every area. But I'm saying that wisdom, it, you know, guys, if there's anything you can learn from wisdom too, wisdom is not knowledge. It's not being smart. Wisdom is having the knowledge, but also having the boldness to apply it. There's a lot of people in the world that know the things they should do. But there's very few that have the boldness and the discipline to actually do those things. That's where wisdom kicks in. And here at the Crossings Church, we make a lot of mistakes, but we really do strive to put things into place and put things into action. You know, if it's something that you have never really looked at your baptism like that, or maybe you've never been baptized, and you're like, I don't really know what that looks like. What, you know, maybe check that you'd like um, to be baptized today, and, and you'd like to check into a Bible study to see, I want to make sure I understand this before I commit to this, or I want to reevaluate where I'm at. You know, maybe write that thing down in your prayer comments, and somebody will get connected with you guys today. But I do know, like I said from the get-go, guys, is that God dreams and desires for us all to have an impact on everyone that we come into contact with. And if you're anything like me, and you grew up the way that I grew up, and you feel like that is, there's a very small chance, I was that one in a million. You know, God worked through me in a way that I never could have imagined. And I get to have the wife, I get to have the kids, I get to have the family, I get to have 
the, the, the stability, the things that I never dreamed, the impact, the influence. I never thought I would be on a stage in my life. But God just chose to work through me because I gave my life to him a long time ago. And I encourage you that you can use my story just like you can use Philip's, just like you can use Paul's, just like you can use Peter's, and, and God can use you too. And so please fill out that card and, and let us give you an opportunity to find an impact today. I'm going to say a prayer, and then the worship team is going to come up, um, and we're going to sing some songs and give you guys some further instructions. But thanks for coming today, guys. Um, let's pray. God, I just want to thank you again for the impact that I do have. Um, God, I never thought I was going to have an impact on my life, ever. And uh, I'm just so grateful that the things that you have given me, the responsibilities and the things that I'm a steward over my life, God, I, I pray I'm doing my best. But God, I'll pray right now for wisdom because I know I'm, I don't know it all. And so, God, I pray that you will continue to lead me in a wise way, um, that whenever I'm on the stage, I can say things in a wise way to communicate. I can say things to my family in a wise way to lead them, that I can say things just like Philip did to have the kind of family that he had, God, um, and the kind of the way that he impacted the community. God, I pray for that same kind of wisdom and that same kind of boldness. And I pray that for our congregation today, that the people here, I pray that they can have the wisdom to, to step out on a leap of faith and ask for the same things, Lord, and not just ask for them, but to take the steps necessary to attain them. So pray again for your son. Thank you again for his sacrifice on the cross as an example. Um, and God, uh, thank you again for uh, today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.